Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. We live in an increasingly digital world and cybersecurity has never been more important. Today's guest is a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council of Geoeconomic Center and a former director of cybersecurity for the White House National Security Council. As such, she knows this all too well. From virtual currency and emerging technology to critical infrastructure protection, Carol is an expert on keeping all of our digital assets safe. To talk cybersecurity and how to impact your business, welcome to the show, Carol House. Thank you so much for joining us today, Carol. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. So we're going to start off by saying I love to start this show as ridiculously as possible to keep it conversational and fun. So the question I want to ask you is, what is the last song you got stuck in your head? (laughs) Well, that's funny. I guess I honestly, uh, I just got back from a lovely cabin weekend with a lot of friends with whom I play Dungeons and Dragons because I'm really cool. So we were singing sea shanties around a fire. So the Wellerman was the last stuck in my head. The Wellerman's a good one. I mean, the Wellerman gets stuck in everyone's head at some point. I think all you have to do is hear the Wellerman once and it's there kind of forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of there forever. I actually used to listen to it, uh, that and other sea shanties most days on my walk from the Ellipse into the Eisenhower Executive Office building most mornings. I just felt like listening to sea shanties was a good way to get ready for, you know, fighting cybercrime. So we covered it a little bit in the introduction, but so walk us through just just a few quick moments of your background. You were at the White House. You worked in, you know, the director of cybercrime. Or get, I want to make sure that I get the titles all right. So walk me through it. Sure. No worries. Yes, I was in the government for 10 years. I spent a lot of time working on really at the nexus of where criminals might exploit technology for for illicit purposes and wanting to try to combat that. So I spent time in the army and intelligence and chemical defense. So think gas mask stuff that nobody likes. And then also working in cybersecurity at the White House, as well as uh, on the Hill at the Senate Homeland Security Committee. And then the most relevant recent roles that I played were at FinCEN, which is the U.S. anti-money laundering regulator for financial institutions, where I was in charge of cyber, cryptocurrency, and identity policy, um, everybody's favorite topics, I'm sure. And then most recently, my last role in the in the government was at the National Security Council, uh, serving as the director for cybersecurity and secure digital innovation. What that really translated to was I was driving the U.S. counter ransomware campaign, as well as our work on digital assets. So think the, potentially the future of a digital dollar, and then also looking at cryptocurrency policy approaches. So now I'm out in industry working at a small venture capital firm. So talk to me oh so briefly about that. Your venture capital firm investing in this? Yeah, we focus mostly on security technologies. Um, We also do some advising and consulting work. So I'm actually standing up an advisory practice right now focusing again on technological issues. So think the future of artificial intelligence and cybersecurity and cryptocurrency and the future of money. So, you know, as you're aware, where this is the construction user 2.0, our, our listeners are people that work in in large scale construction and maintenance, usually and mostly on the industrial side, you know, medium to heavy industrial. And there has been, you know, certainly that have hit the news and many others that haven't everything from ransomware to, to different cyber attacks in the industrial slash infrastructural space. What can you tell me ab- about that and protecting against that? 
Absolutely. And first, I, I'll just highlight that I really like construction um, as, as a sector. It's a really interesting and complex one because, honestly, your companies and your members directly support and affect so many other defined critical infrastructure sectors. So in cyber policy, there's 16 critical infrastructure sectors. But think about the role that construction plays for commercial facilities, communications, dams, critical manufacturing, energy, transportation. These and more construction really plays a critical role there. In fact, construction was listed um, as part of the guidance for who was an essential worker for many of these sectors during the pandemic, which really highlights how much we rely on construction. So I mention all of that because that really points back to what is ransomware anyway, um, and why was it such a huge problem that the White House had a major response to it. Ransomware is generally a disruptive cybercrime. So what that means is, is usually ransomware is not just something that's trying to steal, that's trying to steal money or information information in order to to in order to monetize that data or information down the road typically it's something that's trying to encrypt or otherwise disrupt your systems to then extort you into paying a transaction to the criminals um, so the reason why why ransomware has often been been targeting the construction space is that honestly there's limited regulations and guidelines related to cybersecurity hygiene requirements for construction um, construction is not the only sector that faces this but that's one reason why it's why it's often seen as a more attractive target to criminals that are looking for easy targets. Also, there's a lot of like high value activities that are going on across construction companies. So basically every day that you, you lose the ability to, to leverage your systems and your equipment, uh, since the construction sector has gotten more and more reliant upon a tech uh, tech integration into a lot of your into a lot of your equipment and your functions, all of these things, once you have a service or a system that any company is reliant upon and faces a sense of urgency or desperation to want to be able to pre prevent um, those systems from being blocked, from being used, or from, or from releasing certain sensitive data, that creates the, the potential kind of ex extorting capability for the criminal to then you know ask you to get a, a significant payment in order to then decrypt your systems and allow you access to your computers again. So that's what, what ransomware is. Ransomware is cyber-enabled financial extortion, essentially, um, where they prevent you from accessing your systems. Um, and in some cases now, an evolution that's happening is not just encrypting your systems, because sometimes uh, companies will be smart and have backups, um, so they're not worried about not having access to their data. But instead, uh, the criminals will exfiltrate and take some of that data and threaten to publish it, um, which could result in regulatory fees um, or just general uh, consequences for the stock of the company and like loss of faith in the company of sensitive information about the employees or business dealings um, are lost. So this like double extortion or even triple extortion tactics is also an increasing trend in ransomware. So you said something in there. There was lots of awesome information there, but there was one phrase that kind of caught my ear that I really liked that I want you to kind of you said cybersecurity hygiene, which is an interesting turn of phrase that, I mean, I think everyone hearing it instantly knows what you mean by that. But what can you do other than, you know, change your password every 30 days, have a 70,000 character, you know, like these ever increasingly difficult passwords, these ever increasingly, with these companies that are doing multiple job sites, multiple functions, multiple everything, how do you even begin to have good cybersecurity hygiene when you're talking about the Internet of Things and all of these different moving pieces. How do you how do you have good cybersecurity hygiene in that environment? 
Yeah, that's a really great question because it's something that we honestly struggle with a lot uh, in the United States. It was something that the administration, the Biden administration has also been really concerned about and why they've been driving a lot of efforts to both try to enhance things like visibility um, and cyber incident reporting. Like there's, uh, there's, there was a law that was passed that's now placing CISA, which is uh, the U.S. government's cyber and infrastructure security agency, to be able to require critical infrastructure to report cyber incidents to them. So lack of visibility has been a huge problem uh, for even the government and regulators and authorities to get visibility and when cybercrime is happening and then where key vulnerabilities are. Also, there's just there's a, a fragmented patchwork quilt of different authorities um, and a lot of weak authorities in certain sectors that really are quite critical to providing critical services and, and goods out to Americans that really make it very difficult to establish requirements and then oversee how well industry is, prevent, is protecting themselves um, and preventing these kinds of attacks. So on the things that they should be doing to defend themselves, there's a, there's a lot of different things um, and a lot of different vectors that ransomware criminals come in, but oftentimes it's basic cyber hygiene that hasn't been implemented. And ultimately, uh, right now, there's a prevalence of a lack of sufficient cybersecurity measures that have been put in place. So we hope that companies will put in place um, some, of those, some of those protections that will at least make them not the most attractive target. So some of those things can be multi-factor authentication is a great example. Identity compromise is so frequently uh, one of the vectors of attack, not just in ransomware, but other cybercrime as well. We're basically just not implementing very basic identity credentialing and access management that can enable someone to get onto your system. So yes, like having your your user credentials, like your um, when I say credential, what I mean is a username and a password. I'm sure people have a hard time remembering lots of them. They get compromised. And they're for sale on the dark net for 18 cents. And it's essentially trivial for cyber criminals now in ransomware as a service economies that have grown to be able to like automate attacks in leveraging those harvested credentials across a variety of systems um, where the users that were that were targeted now have those accounts. So multi-factor authentication is a critical defensive measure. Having information security, continuous monitoring solutions, things that will allow you to monitor for anomalies and illicit traffic that's occurring on your networks and at your endpoints as well. So basically every device that has access to the internet. Um, and then frankly, incident response is one of the most critical things that I would encourage all companies to have because it's it's sort of a known statement in cyber now where you say it's not if you've been hacked, it's when you've been hacked. So a critical thing with ransomware, especially with that first element of disruptive capability, one of the ways that you can more readily ensure that at least you're not going to be forced uh, into making a payment or into losing that business uh, that business capability is if you have business continuity and operational planning so that in the case of this disaster of a ransomware attack you can shift to this business continuity site and be able to keep your operations going so having that having an incident response plan that you test um, having independent security audits all of these things are the kinds of capabilities um, that and then thinking about about supply chain management the way that a lot of companies have gotten it has also been by using managed service providers and cloud providers that end up that end up serving as kind of centers of gravity that if they get hit, then lots of other companies are affected. So they can also be hit via these software security vulnerabilities. So I know that that's a lot of things to do, but as the world gets more and more reliant on digital systems, um, honestly, cyber criminals see, see great opportunities, just like we saw in the pandemic and an increase in cyber crime um, and cyber enabled fraud. We see uh, really high value targets that cyber criminals are going after. 
Great partners make a difference in any industry, but ours are the best. So let's take a moment for the Milwaukee Minute. Milwaukee Tool is dedicated to providing a full range of trade-focused solutions that increase confidence and productivity on the job site. One example of that commitment is OneKey, our connectivity platform that puts job site management into your hands, allowing you to track what matters through the industry's largest Bluetooth tracking community. This purpose-built tracking hardware and software gives you the ability to customize, track, and manage your tool inventory, fundamentally changing the way you interact with your tools. Together, the OneKey app and the IoT Connected Power Tools deliver superior task-specific power, precision, quality, and repeatability to help you and your crew work smarter. The free app grows with your business, addressing inventory pain points, increasing productivity, and decreasing downtime. Learn more about the OneKey platform at onekey.milwaukeetool.com. You ended on a perfect note because you had said something near the beginning that you touched back on, so it was a perfect loop of high value. From a cyber criminal's standpoint, what makes something a an attractive versus unattractive target? Where's, you know, some of our companies would probably be just inherently attractive based on the nature of the work they're doing. Others may not be. What is the decision-making matrix on a cyber crime standpoint? What makes you a good get? <laughs> if I were a cyber criminal, who, who would I be targeting? Yes, that? that's basically what I'm asking. If you were, yeah, uh, yeah. Give, give me your hit list, Carol. Yes, I like this game theory. Um, so honestly, the, the, the easiest thing is really like poor defenses. Like if you're looking to go after a castle, the one that has that has no no walls or low walls or no moat or whatever like that. Uh, so basically, poor cybersecurity is is honestly the easiest uh, is is the easiest tell of something that makes it a very attractive target for cyber criminals simply because when you think about it being a low risk high reward type of type of activity that they're looking for something that will be that lower risk of them getting stopped of them not like wasting the resources and then trying to get in get out um, so for ransomware especially it's typically not just that it's that it has poor cyber hygiene. It's normally, since you also want to be able to successfully extort that payment out of them, there's there's honestly been an interesting evolution in the types of targets that's, that ransomware criminals have gone after. Um, it used to be going after smaller companies and lower payouts. But a couple of years ago, when I was at FinCEN, um, we noticed a, a shift that was going towards big game hunting, was what we called it, where they were really starting to go after significant, like huge firms, ones that were going to be able to give the largest payouts, where where a ransomware where a ransomware extortion payment might be like over a hundred million dollars. So honestly, th- there's been an interesting shift. I think it was Nordlocker that published a report that um, has shown that business size that gets targeted the most is now more than medium-sized businesses. Perhaps that's kind of a medium range of both having both potentially having lower cybersecurity or at least having certain vectors that are not being protected against. So the the rate of of successful attack is increased, but then also having um, having enough money to be able to pay a reasonable enough amount that that a, that a company would pay it, but maybe would not um, trigger certain defensive alarms for law enforcement um, or even make it into a certain authorities into certain authorities radars. So that's another aspect that I haven't really gotten into is that ransomware is kind of an embarrassing. It's, it's ransomware and other cybercrime activity can be viewed as embarrassing to certain companies. They don't want it to become public information because well, they don't want that vulnerability to be known um, to attract other cyber criminals to come after them, but also to, to attract the attention of the public uh, as well as investors um, and regulators. So ultimately, some companies don't like to make the fact that they've been hit with ransomware public. And unfortunately, that can really dem- 
diminished an understanding across the ecosystem of how many companies are getting hit and then how many companies are actually paying the ransomware criminals, which unfortunately just helps to, you know, to foment more of this activity. It, um, it feeds the ecosystem, it rewards the actors, and there really is no guarantee that you will get access to your systems or money back. You're just hoping that these criminals who um, blocked access to your systems or potentially exfiltrated your sensitive data, you're hoping that they'll actually give that back to you. Of course, like in, in many instances, they do get it back, and in some instances, people don't. Um, so it depends on how much what honor you think these thieves might have in, uh, in actually giving you access back to your systems. So yeah, you're really wanting that honorable thief. Like I want my criminals to be the best, <laughs> nicest, most most accommodating criminals. So you mentioned in there about uh, avoiding hitting, you know, certain triggers of of jurisdiction. What are those numbers that they're trying to stay out? You know, what are those triggers that get the wrong level of attention down on your ransomware? I'm really glad that you brought that issue up uh, because I'm sure everybody remembers uh, Colonial Pipeline. Uh, which yes, was, we do. Uh, yes, there were a lot of ransomware attacks, certainly during my tenure at the National Security Council. But that was really, that was a huge one that attracted, you know, tons of attention, had a major impact on, on gas availability and prices, um, on, the, along the East Coast. That was, it was also really interesting to see that in the wake of that, there were lots of discussions, um, that were reported on by cyber threat firms and others talking about the fact that certain ransomware criminal groups were talking about how, like, oh, well, like you shouldn't be targeting critical infrastructure because then you're going to attract the, the the potential you know response and full wrath of the U.S. government upon you. So there's this interesting um, like dynamic and calculus that goes on for certain cyber criminals of trying to figure out how do I both both you know I have to get access to the the, the networks and I have to find a company that is so reliant and and like desperate to get access to their systems or their money back that they will actually pay this ransom versus not pay it. So hopefully trying to find a target that I think would be um, would be interested in paying me this money. Um, in fact, it's interesting that companies that pay that are known to pay ransoms after getting hit with ransomware are more likely to get hit with ransomware again, because criminals know that that company is willing to pay in order to get access to their systems back. So that's an interesting trend. But so so the like ransomware criminals are thinking about a variety of different things. I got to find the right company with sensitive data, ask for the largest amount. And then there's a negotiation process. There's actually like professional quote unquote, you know, us ransomware criminal negotiators in this, I mentioned ransomware as a service economy, like that's not a joke. Right? That's actually an ecosystem that has evolved where you have negotiators, you have people that specialize in HR and recruiting, you have people that specialize in creating the exploit kits and other people that specialize in actually going and deploying it um, on systems. Like it's a, it's a fascinating um, and, and horrific cybercrime economy um, that is increasingly getting more and more sophisticated. Uh, that's also been enabled by cryptocurrency, uh, which is a whole other issue. Um, but basically, all of these are part of the calculus that's going into, okay, what company do I hit that's probably going to pay me this back? And then also, what will not attract uh, U.S. law enforcement enough to come after me? That was an issue in the wake of Colonial Pipeline, where then President Biden and the White House highlighted that it was made very clear from the White House to Russia, since most most ransomware uh, criminals, uh, most ransomware criminal groups are Russian cyber criminals. Uh, so there are plenty of others that are not, but most are uh, are Russian operating. Based on that, there was a statement that President Biden made uh, to highlight that they needed to not target critical infrastructure. Uh, so then there, there was this calculus to want to figure out, okay, what companies can I hit that will not count as critical infrastructure or critical enough infrastructure 
sure that it will, you know, that it will cause um, a huge blowback in the, in the public eye. We don't want to get media reporting. We don't want law enforcement to get involved. So sometimes that may be not wanting to target hospitals, not wanting to target significant enough money-making sectors, and just try to figure out how to stay just below that line of getting into the public eye, so causing significant enough disruption that the public knows and then authorities know, and then also um, to try to attract that to try to attract the companies in order to pay that extortion payment. So there's a lot of different calculus that comes in there um, on uh, on the mind of the cyber criminals. It kind of it sort of depends on where they're operating from and what sector they're targeting, but it's a variety of different uh, of different calcula- calculating factors. No, that's I mean, and again, today's been awesome because there's just been just so much information. I want to try to kind of twofold, one, one the future, one the present. And, and I already asked one of them, but I'll kind of ask again in a slightly different way is just this is you need a degree in computer science to understand, oh, so much of this. There's calculus and there's whole there's dark web economies going on for it. But here and now, what you can you do to just protect it and to not be a very, you know, don't pay your ransomware is what I'm hearing. Uh, like, make sure you have multi, uh, multi-factor authentication. Keep good hygiene, good security, and don't play nice with strangers. Is is that the kind of... Uh... Yeah, and backups. Backups and, like, and absolutely having... Having operational backups so that you you aren't reliant upon just one set of systems that if they get hit or disrupted in any way, you are no longer able to continue to conduct your business operations. Having those backup systems and those business continuity planning procedures in place um, will save so many that are getting hit with ransomware. Um, so at least make sure that their that their operations are not disrupted. Awesome. And then my last, and, and you mentioned it a second ago, and we, we don't have time today to you know unpack crypto because there's just too much to it. But a lot of this seems to be kind of tied in with the advent of the IoT, the crypto, the Web3. This all seems to be on the same trajectory and rise, if not directly connected to, but at least correlated to the technological revolution that we are kind of having over the last few years. So I guess the question is, is this something we need to worry about? Is it going anywhere or is this going to be the new normal moving forward? Well, I'll say that ransomware and cybercrime will will persist. They're not going to go away. Hopefully, uh, we will be able to work as as an industry, as a nation, as authorities to figure out how to deter significant cyber activity, as well as how to defend our, um, our most critical systems, but then also being able to make sure that we can respond and recover effectively. That's a part of the cyber framework. Um, I'll say on the technology piece, um, since I know we can't get into, get into crypto, but given the fact that the future is digital economies, right? Like we're not going to get less digitized. So blockchain technology is not just, you know, it's not just fraud and cybercrime and cryptocurrency and funny money and pictures of gorillas. Blockchain is just a technology, just like any technology. It is as good um, or not uh, as you design it to be. Uh, It has whatever strengths or vulnerabilities that are built into it. So blockchain technology enables a secure, transparent way and a decentralized way. So meaning not just reliant upon one central authority to conduct 
digital transactions. That doesn't have to be financial transaction. That can be for information transfer and for data transparency and visibility. The future of digital economies will fuse together things like IoT, Internet of Things, um, the future of AI. We've seen what democratization of AI can bring uh, in the wake of things like ChatGPT, greater reliance and integration of digitized systems um, like we're seeing with industrial control systems and OT operational technology along with our information technology systems. All these will come together and blockchain technology is something that can help facilitate that integration and allow for a lot more transparency across across bodies on, on information um, and creating new business models. So I think that I think that blockchain will play a really major role in in the future. It's not going away. Um, it may not. It's not going to have. I don't think fifteen thousand different types of of financial instruments as it currently does. I think that there will be some consolidation in the market, but I think that there will be new business cases that get developed, especially the non financial ones, are what interest me especially the most. And I think could be very interesting to see what efficiencies and transparencies are offered for innovations in the construction space. Awesome. So what you're saying is it's not good or bad. Blockchain will both. It's just going to be the new playing field, not necessarily the good guy or the bad guy. Just it's coming. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's not inherently evil. You know, most of the failures that we see in cryptocurrency um, are not failures of the technology. It's failures of people and businesses um, that have occurred. So there's a lot of factors that have to be put in place, including appropriate regulations for high value activity, like financial activity, as well as other critical infrastructure um, applications and healthcare, things like that, you know, transportation. Imagine the future of, of, of drones that are leveraging blockchain infrastructure, that kind of uh, application needs to have proper protections in place. And that's the role that regulation needs to be to facilitate innovation, but also ensure proper protection for consumers and ecosystems. Incredible. Well, I know that you have a busy schedule today and are off in between a lot of places. So thank you so much for squeezing us in. And we look forward to being able to uh, have more conversations with you in the future if uh, as, as you know, the world develops. Thanks so much. Thrilled to be here. It was great to talk to you all. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 